Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about traffic reports and CITES with Sabri Zane, Director of Advocacy for Traffic International. What is traffic's role with CITES? Well, traffic was established in 1976, and it's no coincidence that this was just one year after CITES came into force, uh, because we were established by WWF and IUCN, the World Conservation Union, specifically uh, to provide support for this spanking new convention uh, that was aimed at uh, protecting endangered species in trade. Now, over the years, uh, our work has expanded to areas of wildlife trade uh, well beyond CITES, uh, but uh, supporting CITES uh, and supporting countries to implement CITES uh, is, is still a crucial uh, element of, of our work. Uh, we provide support in terms of providing quite specific support uh, to uh, CITES conventions, uh, convention meetings, for example. We provide uh, technical analysis and recommendations for proposals to list species on the appendices. We provide specific documents uh, to the CITES parties meeting at, uh, at the conference of the parties on issues such as uh, rhino horn conservation and trade and uh, uh, elephant, illegal elephant trade. But we provide wider support, especially to the member countries in, in a variety of uh, uh, their the, the tasks and requirements for CITES. This includes enforcement support, uh, building capacity and training, uh, scientific research. So it, 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 it covers all the different aspects of CITES and implementation of the convention. Oh, wow. So you guys have been with CITES then since the beginning, essentially. Since the very beginning, oh, yes. Wow. Now, this year, there are a lot of uh, controversial issues swirling around, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so which issues is traffic going to be focusing on, or are you pretty evenly spaced over all of the different issues? Well, we do have a number of uh, priorities for this coming conference of the parties in Bangkok. Um, possibly top on the list uh, are issues related to uh, ivory trade and uh, rhino horn trade. Uh, we've seen over the past uh, just few years, levels of uh, illegal poaching of both elephants and rhinos uh, go up to record levels. Uh, we've, we've seen illicit trade go up to record levels, unprecedented uh, levels for ivory, for example. Uh, since ETIS began uh, uh, records uh, in, in 2000, we, we, we uh, see this year levels uh, that were, were uh, in, in exhibiting double-digit growth. So it, there, is a, there is a crisis uh, in the making right now. So what we want to see at the CITES conference is you know, firm action being taken to ensure that uh, uh, key countries are implementing CITES requirements with regard to controlling uh, illegal rhino horn trade and illegal ivory. Aside from 
uh, elephants and rhinos, another major focus of our work uh, on a num uh, for this conference is on a number of commodities, uh, in particular uh, marine fisheries and, uh, and timber. There are a number of listings of shark species uh, which we are encouraging parties to support that would ensure that uh, the, the, the now legal trade in, in sharks is controlled and managed uh, so that uh, it doesn't result in, in the extinction of, of uh, many shark species. Uh, there are a number of uh, timber species that are of importance to us, in particular uh, the Ebony's and Delbergia species from Madagascar. There's there are high levels of illegal logging now taking place in Madagascar, uh, and we believe CITES can play an important role in ensuring that that uh, that logging is is conducted in a sustainable manner that benefits the country but doesn't result in uh, in commercial extinction of the species. Hmm. Yeah. Sometimes when the uh legal trade gets out of control, then uh, it starts to affect everything else. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and one of the key and in CITES is not just about uh, prohibiting, uh, prohibiting uh, use and trade in species. It's also about encouraging countries to use the resources that they have uh, more wisely and having a longer term uh, uh, longer-term sustainability issues in mind when they harvest those resources, particularly in terms of fisheries uh, and, and, and timber. There's been so a lot of resistance in the past to having CITES. When people usually associate CITES with just uh, endangered species, but CITES also plays an important role in controlling uh, the, the, the harvest and trade in a lot of other commodities. Uh, you know, trees and fish are wildlife as well. So uh, it, it can play a very important role in, in managing those, those uh, harvests and trade. How difficult do you think it will be to get the countries that are being affected by, say, kind of the wider issues of timber and fisheries, how difficult will it be to get those countries to implement the right kind of uh, controls? Well, the problem with timber and fisheries is that uh, we're not just looking at conservation issues here. Uh, timber and fisheries are very important uh, economic resources for uh, those countries involved, uh, and they play a, a part in, in the, the economic development of the countries. So there will be resistance to any form of, sort of uh, control uh, from an international body, uh, and that, that's been the difficulty with timber and fisheries inside these as a whole. One, one of our important roles at the CITES conference, I think, is to uh, convince some countries that uh, CITES uh, is not about prohibiting uh, or controlling uh, the harvest and use and trade of timber and fisheries commodities. It's about managing it wisely. Uh, and, you know, it will only uh, be to the benefit of uh, the country and its economic development if that, that resource is managed properly and sustainably. Hmm. Going back to, you mentioned uh, ivory, which is always a really big issue. Um, can you tell us about the significance of Etis and Mike? Well, Etis and Mike uh, are you know, quite 
groundbreaking initiatives because for the first time, uh, we now have a mechanism by which uh, uh, illegal poaching and illegal trade in ivory can be scientifically uh, recorded, documented, but more importantly, trends and patterns that are emerging can be analyzed and 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 those that analysis can be can be translated into policy and enforcement action on the ground uh, otherwise you know decisions would be made you know just based on on uh, anecdotal evidence uh, or based on on uh, on hunches i think when we if if we are to convince countries to take the the right actions that are needed to to completely eliminate uh, illicit uh, poaching in uh, to eliminate poaching in poaching of elephants and illicit trade in ivory, we have to present them with the with the information that makes the case. We also have to uh, identify where this action needs to take place so that uh, the right resources and the right enforcement action uh, can be taken. So that's what exactly what ETIS does. ETIS identifies you know, which are the problem countries uh, or which, which are the countries where most of the ivory uh, is flowing from, which are the countries where most of the ivory is going to, where are the, where are the ports uh, and uh, other you know, trade hubs from which this ivory is, is flowing. So that will allow, that will allow, the, the, that will allow the, these countries to ensure that they have the support from the international community to, to enforce rules and regulations to, to uh, disrupt uh, uh, this trade all the way from the source country to the transit uh, countries to the, to, the, to the consumer countries. It's also helped us identify the fact that you know, ivory trade is not now just a matter of you know, isolated individual poachers just opportunistically killing elephants and then uh, selling off uh, the ivory. It's, it's, a, it's, trans, uh, it's a very organized transnational crime. You have very organized criminal syndicates operating. And this, was, this is revealed from the ETIS figures because a large proportion of the seizures are now seizures of ivory that, uh, that uh, exceed, uh, exceed eight tons. You know, it, with these large-scale seizures, uh, it's evident that only an organized criminal network is able to organize seizures of this size. So it's, it, it has sort of highlighted the fact that uh, this, is, this is something that requires uh, uh, the international cooperation because we're not just dealing with opportunistic poachers, we're dealing with uh, uh, organized criminals and you know, to, to address illegal trade. Uh, you know, countries and enforcement agencies will get to get organized as well. How complicated does it make uh, the sorting out of the illicit ivory trade when some countries have legal ivory trade where in other places it's completely illegal? What kind of, um, kind of problems arise from that? Well, obviously, when there is legal trade, there should be in place uh, robust systems uh, that ensure that uh, this this what is what is legal trade that is not leaked into uh, the illegal market, or there must be robust systems to ensure that uh, 
there's there's very tight monitoring of uh, what what where these legal products are manufactured, how much of it is coming out into the market, uh, and uh, especially there's no chance of laundering uh, illegal ivory as legal ivory. Uh, so it all boils down to how 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 robust the internal control systems are. The main country, obviously, where there is a large, uh, a relatively large legal ivory trades system in place is, is China. And China also happens to be sort of uh, the main destination for a lot of the illegal trade. So in the past, China has had quite a robust uh, and strict internal uh, legal ivory trade system where it monitored where the ivory was going, how much was being produced. Uh, each ivory item had to have uh, uh, certificates indicating that it was uh, it was legally produced. Uh, but we've, we've seen in recent years that the, the system now seems to be faltering. We've seen uh, ivory uh, that's clearly illegal being uh, uh, ivory that's said to be legal not being sold with the right certificates. Uh, we've seen retail outlets being closed because they were also dealing with uh, illegal ivory. So I think it's very important that you know if China uh, China needs to really tighten up uh, their internal ivory trade controls, uh, otherwise uh, they they would be. Uh, they would not be complying with, you know, CITES uh, provisions and recommendations that specify how such legal markets need to be controlled and monitored. And there's a problem in Thailand as well because of the, um, it's complicated because of the domestic elephant trade, is that right? Absolutely. Thailand has the biggest unregulated market, uh, open market on the planet. Uh, and the sole reason being no one knows that there is a legal provision in Thailand that uh, uh, ivory from domestic elephants can be sold, but no one knows uh, whether the ivory really is from domestic uh, elephants in Thailand or they're from African elephants. You see ivory quite openly uh, in markets, unlike in China, where it's clandestine, uh, and the, the, the legislative provisions for enforce is impossible to enforce CITES there because uh, you know enforcement agencies uh, can't seize anything because the, the retail outlets will just say, "Oh, this is from uh, Thai domestic uh, elephants." <laughs> so I, the only situation uh, the, or the only option available for Thailand is you know to completely to completely. Uh, close the ivory markets in the country to completely ban all sale of ivory until it sorts out uh, this problem, until there is a robust mechanism for tracking uh, where, where domestic uh, and certifying uh, which products are from domestic elephants and until it completely uh, makes it illegal uh, for, for African ivory to be sold in the country. Uh, but until this mess is cleared up, uh, you know, the, the market has to be completely closed because there has been no system, unlike in China, to control the, to control the ivory markets in, in Thailand. Hmm. <laughs> now, going back to uh, traffic's role with CITES, what are some of the challenges of providing unbiased reporting. You're dealing not just with uh, wildlife being killed, but there are people being killed. 
Well, I mean, our guiding principle is that uh, uh, decisions made uh, on the conservation of species uh, must be made upon scientific principles and based upon sound science and not politics or economics or emotions. Uh, the science dictates the decisions, which you know results in in you know traffic sometimes uh, revealing inconvenient truths or making unpopular recommendations. Uh, one example, for example, at the last CITES COP and at, at this this CITES uh, conference of the parties, I mean this, the science that we looked at revealed that, for example, uh, it's probably not. Uh, uh, listing polar bears on Appendix 1 of CITES. It's probably not going to help polar bears uh, on the ground. This decision for traffic to recommend that the, uh, that the polar bear listing be rejected is obviously going to be a hugely unpopular uh, decision uh, and will cause a lot of annoyance to other uh, organizations and some countries, but that, that, that recommendation is based solely on the scientific, scientific evidence that's before us. Uh, now, a lot of our uh, recommendations are also going to, uh, going to reveal you know, shortcomings, problems and weaknesses uh, in, the, in, in government operations in a lot of the countries that we work in. And again, that's going to make us uh, hugely unpopular. <laughs> You know, conservation science is uh, not about, uh, uh, it's not a popularity, uh, popularity contest. It's about making sure that uh, all parties concerned, whether it's government or the enforcement agencies uh, or communities on the grounds, making sure that they have all the right information upon which they can make the right decisions. And I think as long as we uh, stick to those principles uh, and uh, you know the, the the challenges the the challenges are there, but you know sometimes the, it also makes our recommendations a lot more credible, uh, and we believe that uh, uh, that they're the right decisions if they are based upon the science. We were talking about the elephant, where uh, the ivory is legal in some places and illegal in other places. Now that's caused a problem with rhino horn as well, hasn't it? The, the, the use of rhino horn is illegal in all countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, use of rhino horn for uh, for medicinal purposes or, or any other consumption. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a legalized uh, uh, trade in rhino horn for trophies, mm-hmm. but the problem is that 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 has been abused. Uh, so you have you know people who are, and you know you have to you have to. Uh, uh, these trophies have to meet a certain quota. They have to be done by professional hunters. And we've seen a lot of basically people who have never hunted before uh, going to going to the rhino range states and and sh- and shooting rhinos and collecting trophies and importing them as trophies when in fact they aren't. So there's been a huge abuse of the system, particularly in Vietnam. Uh, so one of the things that we're calling for. Uh, at the next CITES conference is that this practice be stopped immediately. Uh, the, the, the problem with uh, rhinos, I think, is perhaps most crucial because we've seen 
uh, we've seen huge increase uh, increases in rhino poaching. We've seen huge discrepancies in uh, the trade figures reported by South Africa and the trade figures reported by Vietnam. Uh, there's a lot more going out of South Africa than is being reported coming into Vietnam. So a lot of these problems need to be resolved. Uh, we've seen new uses for rhino horn that is driving this, this surge in demand. Previously, it was thought that uh, rhino horn was only used in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, but, you know, people in Vietnam are using it as uh, as a party drug, essentially, as a detoxicant. Uh it's as you know, so so rhinos are being uh, are being slaughtered for purely so insignificant recreational purposes uh and there's, there's little being done to 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 stem this demand which is which is driving off the poaching and the killing in in uh southern africa so we we hope that the society's conference takes firm action uh to stop this uh to we we hope that uh Vietnam will will address the issue not just in terms of uh, enforcing and stopping shipments of rhino horn coming into the country, but also in terms uh, discouraging consumers in the country. And Vietnam is the number one source of illegal rhino horn in the world right now. To encourage these consumers to uh, to stop using uh, rhino horn uh, illegally, as well as to ensure that. Uh, uh, there are harsh penalties for those who who do. Do you think that regarding the uh, the hunts, um, so many Vietnamese uh, hunters who had never had an interest in that before, um, just a bunch of them s suddenly cropping up in South Africa? Um, it's my understanding that a lot of them were the same. Uh, the same hunting outfitters over and over again. Was there any um, do, was there any responsibility on the part of the South African um, hunting sector or the people involved to maybe sound the alarm that something unusual was going on, and to could they have perhaps said something about that and done something about it in the beginning, like you know maybe saying, <clears throat> "Wow." Um, this doesn't make sense. There sure are a lot of Vietnamese people coming in and, and they don't know how to hunt. Why are they hunting rhino horns um, or why are they hunting the rhinos for the horns? Was there any, do you think there was any responsibility on the part of the people um, facilitating the hunts to, uh, to do something about it in the beginning? Yes, there certainly was. I mean, the, the traffic uh, rhino horn report from the last meeting of the conference of the parties in Doha uh, two years ago highlighted this issue of pseudo-hunts uh, mm -hmm. as a problem. Uh, well, the, the South African government has now, sort of, uh, has now uh, banned uh, uh, the licensing of Vietnamese hunters. Uh, hopefully, they'll now uh, improve the process by which uh, these hunters can be vetted to ensure that they really are professional hunters. And to be fair, you know, trophy hunting does have, uh, in, in limited quantities, does have uh, conservation benefits because it does provide income to the local communities uh, where rhinos are formed and they do provide important sources of funding to 
uh, to uh, a lot of rhino horn, uh, rhino conservancies. But this, this, I think the situation was just left too late, uh, and in warnings should have been heeded from two years ago. Uh, but. Uh, that doesn't mean that we can't do anything about it now. So we certainly hope that the South African government uh, cracks down on this pseudo hunting, not just from Vietnamese, but from other nationalities as well. We're now being, we're now seeing uh, 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 these syndicates recruiting uh, hunters from other nationalities uh, to, to do the hunting from them, particularly from Eastern Europe, uh, so the, the South African government, I think, needs to be needs to be vigilant, uh, and uh, the Vietnamese government uh, must uh, must do all it can to stop uh, its citizens from being involved uh, in this criminal activity. It has to take it has to sort of look back at all the trophy hunts, all the trophies that uh, it imported last year, and do a spot check to see how many of them. Are, are still hanging in somebody's uh, uh, sitting room, or if they've all been ground down to powder to be used as a as a as a party drug, <laughs> and 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 they've got to they've got to you know put these people in jail if if uh, they 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 abuse the system. Right, because the laws are in place um, to to punish people. It's just it seems that they're generally not enforced to the fullest extent and that you know that goes for the source countries as well as the um the demand countries it seems like the punishments don't quite fit the crime there's isolated <clears throat> pardon me there's it seems like there's you know an isolated case here and there where somebody actually goes to jail but it seems on both sides they're just the punishment just rarely seems to go uh for the the maximum. Well, there have been there have been uh, jail sentences imposed in South Africa uh, for for poaching uh, and for illegal trade. Though the vast majority of these sentences uh, were imposed upon either foreign nationals or, or the, the the poachers themselves. So mm -hmm. the king the kingpins mm -hmm. uh, and organizers have been left pretty much uh, alone. And similarly in Vietnam, mm -hmm. uh, yes, there's been odd, there's been the odd uh, jail or fine, but uh, there's there have been no significant penalties imposed upon uh, anyone for uh, illegally importing or using uh, rhino horn trade. Uh, so certainly there needs to be a bit. I mean, these countries need to show that they are fully committed to. They have zero tolerance uh, for any uh, illegal, uh, for any rhino horn poaching or illegal rhino horn trade. Uh, that they impose maximum penalties for this. Uh, but you know, to be fair, this is not just a problem with Vietnam and South uh, Africa. Uh, a lot of countries really don't uh, don't give a lot of attention to wildlife crimes. They don't see it uh, as a serious crime uh, when, in fact. Uh, you know, wildlife, illegal wildlife trade, not just for illegal rhinos, but uh, ivory, but also, you know, for fisheries, for illegal timber. A lot of wildlife trade is now increasingly organized, as I told you before. Uh, it involves criminal syndicates. Uh, and, you know, they're, they're, they're having the, the, the kind of impact that other serious crimes, such as uh, illegal trafficking, narcotics, and human trafficking are having. So I think all countries uh, should should view illegal wildlife trade as a growing serious crime, 
because uh, it, it does involve high degrees of criminality uh, and it has huge impacts uh, on communities uh, well beyond uh, conservation issues. What kind of steps can the public take to assist, if you will, with the mainstreaming of these uh, of these crimes? Because, like you were saying, it's, it has the same impacts as other types of organized cr- crime, but it's not really in the mainstream. It's generally handled by, oh, say the you know the environmental department or something. Um, what what do you think can be done in the in the public arena to push that forward just because you know we get a lot of questions what what can I do to help how can people help push that into the mainstream well I think the first step is for people to find out uh, uh, is to find out about the issues know what the issues are start talking with uh, friends and colleagues and then putting pressure uh, on their elected represent representatives to give wildlife crime uh, the, the profile uh, and uh, elevate it to, to high political levels and give it the sort of political commitment that's needed. And our WWF, WWF and traffic are now sorry, right in the middle of a campaign that's aimed at exactly doing that, at mobilizing uh, ordinary people uh, to pressure their governments to give, uh, to, to give wildlife crime the uh, the kind of attention and profile that it needs, and we've seen we've seen uh, some results. Uh, Hillary Clinton, uh, for example, when she was still Secretary of State uh, in November, delivered a keynote speech which highlighted, uh, which was really groundbreaking and highlighted wildlife crime in the profile of uh, United States politics and international global politics that was unprecedented. It was wildlife trade was mentioned as a, as a serious issue at the UN General Assembly meeting uh, session last year. It was highlighted at the Asia-Pacific Economic Conference. So it is get, gaining that momentum. But I think a lot more needs to be done uh, by, by, by people to you know, keep on uh, putting the pressure on. Uh, and in particular, in the lead-up to the uh, next uh, CITES conference of the parties meeting in Bangkok because there a lot of really important decisions are going to be made uh, on illegal wildlife trade, particularly in relation to elephants and rhinos. And we need all the uh, all the political pressure uh, possible to make sure that countries take the bold and necessary steps needed uh, to, to save these species from the brink of extinction. Oh, thanks. Those are... Great suggestions. Excellent. And what can people do to help support the work of traffic? Well, traffic, as always, depends upon uh, external funding for, for our work. So if they can support traffic either directly or through supporting the work of our partners, IUCN and WF, that would, be, that would certainly be most welcome. But as I said, I think the best way they can, that they can support traffic is, is you know, uh, by, by, by highlighting the issue of uh, wildlife trade uh, to their friends and colleagues, uh, by, by being active uh, in ensuring that uh, these issues uh, take a high profile. We don't encourage people to do their own investigations on <laughs> illegal markets and things like that. That's, that's pretty dangerous work, and I think uh, only trained professionals can, can do that. But certainly, people can, can do a lot more in terms of highlighting the issue, educating others. Uh, and if you, if you build that 
groundswell of awareness, you know, that wildlife trade is, is not just something that affects animals, but, uh, you know, affects uh, people at all of all walks of life in all across the world. I think that would be a, a great contribution. Groundswell. I like that. Well, thank you so much, Sabri, for uh, answering these questions and talking about these important issues with us. Thank you, Rishia. Anytime. You've been listening to Traffic Reports and CITES with Sabri Zane, Director of Advocacy for Traffic International. This is Risha Kota Larsen with Behind the Schemes.